Hello, Billy Bob. Do you hear me? Yep. All right. So, Loki, we got Loki in here. Sorry about the, uh, I've been shifting the start time around. I just got home, been involved in uh, driving my daughter around. So didn't want to open it when I was in the car. Um, yeah, we want to talk about some of the recent controversy going on. Uh, I think the, the main one that caught our attention is this exchange between Ben Norton of Multipolarista and Jackson Hinkle. And you just have uh, two competing ideas of how socialists can collaborate and move forward. Um, let's, uh, what do you think, Billy Bob? What's the best way to approach this and get going? Um, <clears throat> I mean, I think the, we linked to this, uh, this article by Midwestern Marxist uh, or Midwestern Marx. And I mean, that, that's an excellent article. It's really comprehensive um, as far as um, putting forth, you know, my own perspective, the, the, the perspective of uh, Marx, Marxist, Marxist Leninism, Marxism, Leninism. Um, so, you know, um, generally speaking, um, I, I think I, I disagree with Norton and I disagree with Danny Haifong in the in their um you know their their denunciation of um the the idea of um you know uh, patriotic socialism so i mean that's basically where i stand i hope people have uh listened to the i there's a lot of a lot of feedback on the speakers i, I hope people have uh you know, are familiar with the debate and they know both sides. And um, I think, you know, in a discussion that we're going to have, it's a good idea to to just go over the point and counterpoint and the various, um, you know, the various the various arguments against and the arguments, you know, in favor of patriotic socialism. Yeah. yeah well, let me just, I, I suppose, let me play devil's advocate and just uh, yeah, just try and explain. Um, you know, patriotism itself is uh, it's a very loaded term, especially in the USA, especially from a leftist perspective, because when anybody says patriotism, well, we start thinking of, you know, the uh, singing the national anthem at football games, um, you know, uh, American flags the size of a football field, uh, Air Force jets flying overhead, uh, the U.S. military, That that's what it's kind of you know, you're not a patriot if you don't support the U.S. military. So I think the, the sources that you're looking at and uh, the reasoning you're coming to, you're looking at the patriotism as, as something deeper, which is a love for the people and a desire for the prosperity of all the people of the nation. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, certainly, um, you know, definitions. People are using competing definitions and different definitions in their arguments. And that's one of the problems. You know, I'm thinking the echo might be my problem. So let, me, let me turn, let me fix Maybe that situation. So yeah, no, go ahead. Give me Just a couple turn that minutes. Down a I think it's my own issue with my microphone and my feedback. So let me try and fix that. Uh, I see a snarf. Let me, uh, this is only my second time hosting. So, uh, 
Uh, and this might tie in with some of uh, your recent conversations. Uh, you know, this is, this very much does touch on, you know, widespread like right-wing discontent with the establishment. And, um, you know, does, do Marxists, are they willing to work with, with working class people that might be, might be more on the right when it comes to cultural issues? Let's see, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make you the next caller. I think uh, Billy Bob's getting his thoughts together and figuring out his microphone, but uh, let's I, why I I just jump better? in. Can you hear me? Yeah, I think that's a little better. Hey, I'm gonna let Snarf just, uh, just offer his thoughts real quick and maybe we can riff off of that. Sure. Okay, so yes, you, you probably have heard me talk before, so you already know maybe a little bit of where I'm coming from. So I am extremely kind of agitated by by certain groups. Yeah. One of them one of them being uh what I like to define there's a lot of feedback. Holy shit. Bill, you might want to mute for a second. Cuz there's a lot of feedback whenever I talk. Okay, so what, I, what I'm essentially going to get to is this. There's certain groups of people that I, I feel like are antithetical to anything changing in the United States. Third-wave feminists, libertarians, and a group of people that I'm going to define as tankies. And when I say tankies, I'm talking about people that are nominally invoking Marxist-Leninism without actually understanding the history of the Soviet Union or understanding that the vast majority of the new left in the 1970s were not sympathetic to the antithetical um, to, to democracy nature of a lot of the Soviet project. Okay. So what I'm asking for essentially here is this is under what circumstance, two questions. How was the Soviet Union actually an, uh, a vision of Marxian economics? And the second thing is, is why would Joseph Stalin, Mao Zedong, or any so-called uh, Marxist-Leninist or, or totalitarian leader be somebody that you would invoke so that you can win support from people that are, let's say, left or, or, or define themselves as socialists. So um, I'm not sure I'm responsible for the feedback. I did change my setup and I still, the feedback was still there. But um, hopefully uh, it'll go away and it won't interrupt us too much. So, I mean, you know, that's, you know, that's a great topic. We could spend hours discussing that. I'm, I'm really happy to, honestly. Um, you know, I'm not sure exactly how that pertain, pertains to the idea of patriotic socialism, but I think I think I can I can draw a connection. Um, you know, when we talk about the Marxist-Leninist understanding of patriotic socialism, um, I mean, I, I see Marx Marxist-Leninist Marxism-Leninism essentially as a, the, the science of class struggle, right? So it's, it's, it's the materialist science of class struggle 
and you know I think it's the it's the most um, coherent and satisfaction. Can you explain it? Can you explain it in like in like simple terms? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, give give me a chance to kind of build up here. So, so you know, um, it's the most satisfactory um, conceptual framework for understanding um, why things are as they are. So, it has the most explanatory power to to help us to understand where we're at. Um, you know where we want to go and most importantly i would say how to get there right so how to get there so it's um you know i mean that's why that's why i am you know that's why i call myself a marxist linguist because it's the most compelling conceptual framework for understanding where we're at and having a plan to 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 move forward um so, so why you know, don't you explain Mark, class structure? Mark, what what Marxist Leninism does is they explain class structure and says there's in society throughout history we've had these two competing classes, and now we have a new form of that with capitalism, with the with the rise of the bourgeoisie. It's no longer the feudal lords that are the overclass. It's the it's the bourgeoisie, and so just the the basic fundamental reality of class structure. Uh, launches us launches us into all different kinds of opportunities for for change improvement. So you know when we talk about patriotism, uh, we understand that patriotism is a it's a it's a tool. It's a tool that can be used for either the interests of the bourgeoisie, either the interests of the capitalist class, or it can be used in the interest of the working class and to further the interests of the working class. And you know, capitalist patriotism is not the same as working class patriotism. So the patriotism that most people are familiar with in the US and the ones that many on the left have a disdain for, understandably so, is the patriotism of the capitalist class. But you know, that's not the patriotism of this the of socialism of the working class. So so this is this is the issue. Um, and you know, again, what I'm, what I'm, what I'm describing is the Marxist-Leninist understanding of things. So I'm not sure how how Schnarf might take offense or have a problem with any of that. I, I'm not. I don't. I don't take offense to nothing, bro. I don't take an offense to anything. What I want you to do is, I, I want to understand from from a from an overview, right? Like from a higher overview, what are the fundamental principles of your dialectics versus traditional Marxist dialectics. Like, well, how do you, where do you differ? What, what differentiates? And then the second thing I want to know is how was the Soviet Union an example of Marxian economic principles? So, I mean, that's, that's a little bit, um, you know, outside of the scope of our discussion, but I mean, I don't mind, in, um, you know, engaging with that with that question i mean essentially danny Hypon isn't here to defend himself you know if you want to talk to danny he has a show but what i'm really interested in is is understanding what where your where your headspace is and i want you to like i want to understand so so far i what i what i'm getting is is that and there's so much feedback guys just and I'm not trying to dominate this conversation by any means. I have two questions. What exactly 
differentiates Marxist-Leninism in terms of the dialectics. And the second thing is, is how was the Soviet Union an actual example of Marxian economic principles? Okay. So I, I, was, I was trying to explain that. I asked your question. So let me, let me start over again. So again, you know, Marx was a that lived in, you know, 1850. He died in like 1880, I think, sometime in the 1880s. Um, and then Lenin, you know, Lenin actually put Marxism into practice. So the Leninism aspect is 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 putting the theoretical, um, theoretical Marxist theory into actual practice. So Lenin did that successfully. And, you know, uh, there was the Russian Revolution and then there was the creation of the Soviet Union. So uh, the Soviet Union um, did all kinds of tremendous things. And as, um, you know, as a worker state, as, a, as an entity that put, you know, first and foremost, the interests of the vast majority of the working class, instead of the interests of the capitalist class, um, you know, first and foremost, uh, they were very successful in, first of all, having to defend themselves against the aggression of the capitalist West, which they, they did. Um, but also improving quality of life, utilizing technology and harnessing it in the benefit of the vast majority. And, you know, essentially just, um, you know, industrializing in only a, a couple of decades, what the rest of the world centuries to do, um, you know, through, through a planned economy and, and, and um, you know, the, the leadership of a vanguard um proletarian dictatorship, a, a vanguard communist party who, again, you know, was, was its job was to identify and pursue the interests of the working class, which they did so to, to a great extent. I think it started unwinding, you know, once Stalin died and Khrushchev came in, that kind of set him on a downward path. But, you know, that's history. That's, that's what happened. So, um, you know, I think there's, there's very rational. That, that, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Like, wait a second. There's a lot of stuff that you're saying that doesn't make any sense. Okay. So, so I'm going to frame it like this, right? When you speak to me, please speak and claim and warrant, right? You make a lot of claims, but there's no warrant to substantiate it. So if you're going to cite somebody's, uh, somebody's, you know, example of why this worked or, or a particular historical event, that would be really helpful because that would frame an actual, uh, uh, uh like a, like a weighted example of something that, 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 that would prove you right in this particular instance. So the second thing is, is that there seems to be this kind of idea that, that like, I'm supposed to accept Stalin as the, as, as the embodiment of socialism. The only two people that, that, that like accept that are going to be the, like probably the, the anti-communist United States. And it's going to be Stalin himself. So I don't understand where you're going with that, but I will ask you one more time, the same two questions. What is the difference between Marx's dialectic perspective Second of all, and what is what makes the Soviet Union a Marxist-based economy? Wait, let me let me jump in here. Um, the, the difference between them, like Billy Bob said, is that Lenin actually had to put it into practice. So yes, you have a, a, a few you know differences, okay. and and once you start working things out, then you see you got to dynamically respond to reality, and that's okay. what that's what Lenin did. So Marxist-Leninism is simply the, the, the full ideology at that time and how it was put into practice okay. and how it was successful. So it was successful at, for 
for decades. Absolutely, it was successful. But why was it successful? Was it successful because of primitive accumulation as a result of the end of World War II? Or was it because that, you know, Stalin somehow innately improved the situation during, during the time between Lenin's death and World War II? Yeah, I mean, it was successful in that it successfully defended the attacks, both internal and external, of the global capitalist um, but that, you know, I'm not concerned with that, bro. That guy, I, that, that's that's yeah. like you talking to somebody hey, that like, I hate capitalism hey, probably more than you do. But my you, point you is, need to, you need to stop interrupting, dude. That's that's just just shut up and listen. You can't. You know what it is. You don't know best. shit, and you sound dumber than than you could even fucking imagine, bro. Okay. You have no clue okay. about nothing at all. You're just rambling. You're fucking okay. tanky. Stupid <laughs> fucking tanky motherfucker. You're put. <laughs> So, you know, that's unfortunate that we have to deal with people like that. But, um, yeah, so, so no. So why was well, the Soviet Union successful? The Soviet Union was successful because of how they, they tremendously improved the quality of life for the people that lived in the Soviet Union compared to what they had prior to that. And they did so despite well, the Western capitalist class not- doing their utmost to destroy their society. So, like, I mean, he that's wanted, dumb. He wanted I'm no, he wanted to. He wanted you to provide evidence of the success of Marxism outside of war, and um, uh, sorry that that's not possible because all they had was a continual war, and in and yet in those adverse conditions they were still able to survive and thrive and and, and win victory. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. He's asking for to, to you know for to validation about how how they were a success. They were a su- success because of the vast improvements for the quality of life of the people that live there. I mean, ultimately that's it. And I mean, it was, it was, it was amazing. I mean, it was tremendous um, so, by every metric. Uh, the Soviet Union yeah. did great things. I mean, it started to decline. Um, this, whole, this whole thing was a little bit of a, a, a going off on a little tangent. We didn't set yeah. up this room to discuss, uh, you know, to fight about whether Marxist Leninism works. Um, you know, it's, it's the reality is that, that, uh, the the theory that came out of Marxist Leninism was so inspirational to such a huge percentage of the human population that it you know it's impacted millions of people, millions of nations. I I mean a whole ton of nations. We've had successful revolutions against capitalist domination, imperial domination, all throughout the the global South, and um, and all those revolutions for the most part do succeed in in bringing up the the living standards of their population. So right yeah and that is true despite so the despite the, the you know the, the imperialists doing their utmost to subvert and destroy those societies. So you know Marxist Leninism continues yeah. to inspire millions of people around the world yeah. and they're looking to the example of Russia and China as what they're able to accomplish. And this brings us into back to back to on point. Um, you know, we have we have commentators here in the USA. We have growing interest in in Marxist Leninism, and uh, w- so we have we have people we have different approaches as to how to how to push the movement forward. So let's just look at, in, for instance, to this young guy Jackson Hinkle. He calls himself a socialist. He's not really much upfront on Marxist Leninism, but he calls himself a socialist. He he says he's progressive. He says he's on the left. He's just a uh, young, successful, charismatic, handsome, articulate guy, 
and and his following is just increasing exponentially. I would argue, I would I would say I would I believe that most of his following is actually probably white Midwestern uh, people who tend to be culturally on the right. Yet he's speaking in the language that they can understand, and he's willing to engage, and he's been very successful at that. So people like Ben Norton look at his success, and they look at what he's talking about, and he's and he's talking about, for instance, the the establishment pushback against anything related to Trump, against Trump himself, and 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 that whole issue, the whole MAGA issue. So they got a bit, they had a big public beef. They had, they both made, you know, videos uh, condemning each other, and it's unfortunate because they seem to want the same thing. But uh, why don't you let's get back on point and and discuss, you know, what what maybe Jackson Hinkle's mindset is behind that and at the same time i think you know he is appealing to his base he's somewhat of an opportunist because he knows that's where the numbers are if you can appeal to conservatives and get them on board your viewership is going to rise it's almost like the in a sense it's all it's very close to like the tulsi gabbard effect i mean she was a progressive uh known as a progressive her voting record is 100 percent progressive and yet she gets she goes after hillary clinton calls her the queen of warmongers and all of a sudden the media hates her and i i do have my issues with her i think she's she's kind of showing her true colors she's much more of culturally she's much more of a traditionalist and on the right but when it comes to class warfare issues i think she's absolutely uh progressive let me see if there's any other callers yeah. go ahead you have anything to add yeah, no, I have a, a lot to add, but I mean, we can get a caller in. But um, so, yeah, yeah, Tulsi Gabbard certainly has her issues. She's great on foreign policy. She's great on anti-imperialism. Anti and that's got to be the number one issue that people should be concerned about is, you know, uh, imperialism, our aggressive foreign policy, and all the wars that, you know, um, the they're going to get us into to maintain their global hegemony and their, you know, their 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 economic and political control of the world, really. But, um, you know, when we talk about using socialism, uh, using patriotism, though, so, um, I think I think when we talk about um, patriotic socialism, I think there's some redundancy there, because in my humble opinion, socialism is patriotism like it's 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 the patriotism of the working class. That's what socialism is. So it's there's redundancy to say patriotic socialism. And again, I just think that those like Hinkle, not Hinkle, but uh, Haifong and Norton to disparage and condemn patriotic socialists, I think they miss the point, right? They, I think they misunderstand what is being meant and said by patriotic socialists. And I think, you know, egos are involved. And I think, um, you know, there's a lot of miscommunication and misunderstanding. Um, but, but, but having said that, we can, uh, we can turn to Loki. See what yeah, he wants yeah, to contribute. Uh, sure. Hello, guys. Um, like, what do you call it? I guess there were there were definitely you know pro social programs that that were extremely successful in the Soviet Union and China, but you know you still can't ignore historical facts of the the violent nature of the revolution and you know how you know similar to hitler but not just hitler, any any type of uh 
force that's overtaking another country and stuff. They're, they're, um, what do you call it? They're, they're um, seizing assets of, of those that they, they expunge from their society. And uh, I'm sure I'm sure that that said some of the profit, but yeah, they were also yeah they were also very very efficient in these societies, and and they made us they made a space program to compete with the states and everything, which was a a very large feat that that others weren't able to do. But it could also be that um, Europe was like really recently decimated. And you know, Russia was decimated as well, but it had had way more land. You know, had other places to to work from, and and China just had you know straight up like people power, they were, and they were ready to get shit done. But uh, my my question though is like, what can we like? I I see I see the most of the value in modern time from. For Marxism as a as a critique of capitalism, and because it's pretty it's pretty academic in this way and straightforward. So, what tools like coming from the standpoint of class warfare? What tools like simple, plain, planned tools can we extract from there that everybody can use without having to say they subscribe to this ideology or that ideology? Like, what tools can we use? That will, you know, move some shit and get some shit done. Yeah, let me let me just say that, uh, you know, one of the tools is is the threat of revolution. Okay, <laughs> let's see. Look look in history. In the last time there was any some real substantive concessions to the working class and to the needs and desires of the working class, it happened in the context of you know the Great Depression and the New Deal. And prior to World War II, there was a huge thriving Communist Party within the United States. And you had, you know, massive involvement in, in labor unions. You had a, just a, a very widespread, collaborative, not completely unified, but at least it was a voice that was speaking out, you know, in an articulate way and in an effective way against the, the policies of the capitalist class and against the capitalist class in general. So basically, FDR was faced with this simmering threat of communist revolution within the United States. So that is what he was able to then do, was able to turn to the, you know, the capitalist class, the very, you know, people that helped get him elected and bankrolled his campaign. And he said, look what's going on out here. The people are pissed. And if we don't give them something, it's just, it's going to get, it's going to be bad. So that's, in my mind, that's one of the main tools that can be used is, is these guys aren't going to concede anything unless they have to, unless we can you know, put fear in their hearts. Go ahead, Billy Bob. That, um, quote, Chris, uh, Chris Hedges used it a lot, that uh, FDR said that he saved capitalism. So. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, that he was, was shrewd. He was shrewd. My contribution to what Pax just said, um, you know, he did. He offered concessions, and these concessions were offered to working class in order to save capitalism. And, and then they went to work that threat, right? They went to work undermining the Communist Party, outlawing it, penalizing it, their labor unions. And so they rolled back and destroyed that threat, you know, in order to make sure they would never be faced with 
having to provide concessions again and not having the power and control. So that's kind of where we find ourselves. You know, we, 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 you know, the masses in this country are entirely, um, you know, ignorant of the reality of class struggle and the reality of oppositional class interests. It is nowhere within their conceptual framework, which they use to understand politics and reality, etc. So, so one of the things we need to do is we need to bring back this class consciousness and help people understand that the ruling class is of a different class and their interests are opposite the interests of the vast working class majority. And they maintain and create this false, you know, system of democracy where essentially they have two sides, they both control, and then they offer those up like there's some kind of choice we have. But it's one capitalist dictatorship. So that's the best way to conceptualize, you know, the West is a singular capital, capitalist dictatorship, which divides itself into two, two, two wings in order to provide the illusion of choice. And there is, there is no choice there. There is no voting us out of this because the only votes are for either capitalist A or capitalist B. So, um, you know, and then again, patriotism, real patriotism points this out. Real patriotism makes this clear and says, look, both these parties, all the billionaires that fund them, they're the problem. Their patriotism is a bunch of shit, right? That's what their patriotism is. There's, there's an actual patriotism that is of this country, of for the working class. And that's what patriotic socialists say. And so there's, you know, that's, that's a good message. And, and again, unfortunately, I don't believe that folks like, um, uh, you know, Ben Norton or, or Danny Haifang are appreciating things along those lines. I think, I think, you know, there's, there's, there, again, there's miscommunication because they're good guys. Yeah. They're smart. They, they, they provide valuable contributions, but on this one issue, I think they're misguided. Okay. And I, I think there's, there's also, there's, especially with politicians, there's a huge rift between, you know, the policies they say they favor and the things they say they favor and how they, they vote and how and which lobbyist dollars they take. Because if you take their dollars, you're going to you're going to have to help them with, you know, their ends and, and their goals. So there's a huge discrepancy there. Yeah, they lie. Literal. Yeah, I think, uh, thanks, Loki. Appreciate your comments. I want to move on to Ginny. I know she's going to bring a, a different perspective mm -hmm. here. I, from what I have heard of you, I think, uh, Marxist Leninism freaks you out. Would I would I be correct there? Sorry, I'm trying to trying to work this out. <laughs> Jenny. Uh, one of my heroes is Emma Goldman, who was there a Lithuanian go. Jew who traveled to America and I think kind of saved free speech for all of us back before World War One, Do you guys know Emma Goldman's story? Uh, no, I, go I, ahead I, and just recount that, briefly. I dropped a link please. in the chat if, if anybody wants to go read. But um, Emma Goldman was an anarchist, and she really agitated around the country for people to speak up against World War One, And so she was anti-war, very much for the people. And she's one of my personal heroes. I, I love her work. I love her message. And she went back to Russia 
after World War One, and Lenin welcomed her in with open arms. He wanted to know how the common people were doing in America, how their work was progressing within the Communist Party. And Emma was disgusted by what she saw on the ground in Lithuania uh, with her ancestors and her relatives and friends. People were starving. And so she scolded Lenin. And he was so angry at her that um, he kicked her out of the country. She tried to come back to the U.S., but the, the authorities in the United States didn't really want her either. And so she, she kind of died really sad and alone, uh, saying that America was really her favorite place to live for a variety of reasons that I won't go into. But the thing about Emma is I really feel like she had an honest heart and she was fighting for the working class. I mean, that was where her heart was. And so how can I, as a capitalist, I'm a free market capitalist, have a hero who is an anarchist? Well, I'm with Patriot Jefferson, who said he would rather that America be a complete anarchy than have some sort of monarchy or totalitarian system in control, because he felt like just people living side by side with their neighbors would do better than with this all-encompassing totalitarian system. And I believe that the founders wrote the Constitution of the United States thinking about the very government we have today. They wrote it to prevent that sort of government taking power. And they were very concerned about uh, industry capture of government, which we're seeing with the pharmaceutical companies, the military capture of government. These things are right there in the Federalist Papers. So I'd like to reach out to my socialist and communist brothers and sisters with the hand of fellowship to say, yes, let's work together. Let's find what we can have in common and, and fight against these institutions. And isn't it great that today Tony Fauci has announced he's, he's leaving the government. I, don't let the freaking door hit you on the way out, Dr. Fauci. That's my feeling. And I, I am just disgusted by how much power these corporations have taken and just presumed over all of our lives. Yeah, it seems that we see the, the same yeah, problem. Well, in, Thanks in for, um, you know, sharing all that, um, you know, there, you know, there, you know, there's, 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 there's historic issues between communists and, um, anarchists. Um, you know, that's, that's a huge topic in and of itself, but, um, you know, I kind of am of the mindset that, you know, our, our country has always kind of been ruled by a capitalist dictatorship. I mean, the founding fathers themselves were the wealthy landowning elite. And, you know, um, the, the, the Constitution, of course, guaranteed their, you know, their private property and secured their, their rights. And so I think, you know, I'm not one of those people that um, think that they were super, super moral and intelligent people. And I'm not a big proponent of how awesome our Constitution is. I think it, it's, it's, you know, it's resulted in, um, you know, the status quo. Like, ultimately, the Constitution was not able to keep us from where we are today. So, so definitely it's flawed. Um, you can say that it's flawed because, you know, people forget about the Constitution. But, like, I mean, what does that even mean? So, you know, I, I'm with you. Uh, the, the, the capitalist class definitely has all the power. And it's not, you know, they buy politicians. The politicians aren't the real power. 
the politicians are bought and paid for the policies are dictated by those of wealth you know the industrialists the oligarchs the banksters those are the people that um you know decide policy and control the political apparatus um so how, how do we get rid of it you know i mean how do we how do we how do we work to change things for the better i mean right now we're at the we're at the stage where people have to inform themselves they have to try and you know grasp what's going on and why things are as they are and you know i'm a communist because i think the communist um conceptual framework best explains why things are the way they are and you can't you can't get to the bottom of that without understanding the reality of oppositional class interests as marx talked about and and how owners have you know different political and economic interests than workers in fact sometimes it's a, they're mutually exclusive it's it's in some uh what's that what's that word um um where you know one one person's benefit is the other person's loss i mean that's 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 the reality of politics in the class struggle anytime the capitalist class benefits themselves politically it's at the expense of the working class and vice versa so people need to you know wrap their head around these um fundamental realities and then you know and then we can have a, a mass consciousness that can actually do something to sh uh, change things for the better but until that happens we're too divided too fractured too ignorant you know that's the problem do you want a response uh, sure Jim. yeah <laughs> that was <laughs> well my biggest issue is the is with pharmaceutical companies and the control they have presumed and assumed over our bodies and our minds and you know the communist saying is from each according to their ability to each according to their need it was this very line that was used to justify you know everybody having to get the vaccines and so you know you're not getting it for your own health you're getting it for the sick sick person down the street who you're going to help protect and we're coming to find out that so many of the claims about the vaccines and the pharmaceuticals were just flat out lies and so that that just top down control with the media and the ruling class and the world economic forum these are the demons who I see need to be brought to justice. And then we can we can search for a more equitable future once we've dealt with that juggernaut. It's literally this Leviathan that's standing right in front of us, gobbling people up and ruining their health and destroying their economic uh, viability because everybody's so sick. And I just, you know, I just feel like if we can come together on that, that would be a place to really begin. And, you know, I was troubled by you saying, oh, we, we're, we're concerned about MAGA. We're afraid of MAGA. Why are you afraid of the MAGA people? So many of them are working class people. Yeah. I, yeah. No, that's I never a said good point. Afraid of MAGA. I'm not sure you said that. No, that, no, that um, was me. That know, was me. I mean, that is a, that is a you know, widespread uh, belief on the left uh, from the guys, you know, Ben Norton, Haifang. Those guys, they don't want to have anything to do with anybody related to MAGA and and uh, you know you, you're trying to make the case that uh, that they need to be a little more open and more willing to collaborate. I'm just getting like every yeah. other word. I'm not. I'm not sure what you're saying. Yeah, I'm the same way, Pax. It, it's it's the same audio issues we were having before. Um, but but I think here. So what he was saying was he was kind of paraphrasing um, the argument from people like Danny Haifong and Ben Norton who took took this the side of the anti-patriotic socialism 
So and they're kind of the ones that are afraid of MAGA. So he was just articulating their perspective as best he could. Um, what I would say to your remarks, Jenny, is that, you know, you're, you're focusing on a symptom, right? You started focusing on a symptom of the bigger problem. So the symptom of the bigger problem is the pharmaceutical industry um, utilizing and exploiting a pandemic for their own financial gain. I mean, and ultimately that's what you get with capitalism, especially if you're going to not regulate it by a, with, the, with a government that is honestly and sincerely interested in promoting the welfare of the vast, you know, the vast working class majority. So our government is not, right? Our government is bought and paid for. It is of, by, and for the oligarchs and the billionaires. And so it should not come as any surprise that, you know, they allow these pharmaceutical companies to exploit us and to exploit these pandemics. Um, no, you, know, you got it, you got to, it to backwards. Further... It's the okay. pharmaceutical companies that own the government. It's the pharmaceutical companies that own the media. You know, it's, they're it's the oligarchs. The pharmaceutical companies, it's the entire capitalist class of which the pharmaceutical companies are a faction. That's definitely true. The pharmaceutical companies are a faction and you're right. They do own the government. And I mean, that's, I don't know if that's me getting it backwards. I'm saying the same thing, but I'm just saying the pharmaceutical companies aren't the whole entire government. They are a faction within the capitalist class, within the ruling class, just like the big media corporations that run interference, just like the big banks that do the same thing, just like, um, you know, any other industry or private entity that gets big and powerful, um, you know, they start, they start utilizing that influence to, 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 you know, I don't, Make a profit, I just don't, I don't, that comes at the expense of the vast majority. I don't like it when people call that capitalism, because it's not. It's it's pure fascism. Yeah. And so I, I think it'd be better if we could get really clear on the terms. True free market capitalism should be absolutely divorced from federal dollars. That There should not be any exchange between the federal government and these private corporations. The fact that they're not only... And all these other medical entities, and then controlling who can who can play, you know, who gets to start a company, who gets to have success with their company, and and who can shut, you know, perhaps generic drugs out of the picture, you know, you have to go overseas to get this drug. That sort of capture uh, is not capitalism. I, I I see you're getting a lot of thumbs up there. Um, uh, thanks thanks for calling in, Jenny. Appreciate your comments. Let me just say this, um, you know, I think we agree on uh, what the problem is. And so I think we agree it's, where it, we want to go. very difficult to hear you. Uh, you're, you're going in and out. Um, I'm not sure. Okay, I'm just, about that. we're going to move ahead and uh, take the next uh, caller. So, so you know, um, Jenny, sorry to... Sorry to, um, that you're not there. So, I mean, what I was going to say, I mean, to me, my definition of capitalism is what happens when the capitalists take over the government. Like, that's capitalism to me, because that's the only capitalism that really exists, right? Because cap capitalism, unless it's constrained by an actual working class people's government, it's going to take over the government and it's going to do the things that we see. So that's what capitalism is. It's when the capitalists take control of the government. Um, so, you what, know, what about now? Can you hear me better? Am I coming in a little better now? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Uh, yeah, I tweaked a few things. Um, no, this is 
this is a good subject for another show and it's something yeah. that I'm trying to get an outline together for. And it's basically this clash between, um, you know, libertarians, free market libertarians and, and communists basically. Um, and the reality is that both sides see the problem. Both sides have the same endpoint in mind. You know, we want a flourishing free society where, where everybody has opportunity, equal opportunity to prosper. Um, but the means of getting there is what is at stake. And the free market libertarians really think that the solution is more freedom to individual capitalists and less freedom for the state. And uh, just, uh, I find problems with that. I'm not gonna start making my case here because uh, we're gonna move on to Lance, but- uh, Yeah, let's hear what uh, Lance has to say. And you're, you're still yeah. kind of broken up. It's hopefully okay, other people Lance. hear you better than I can. Hopefully I can hear Lance. Let's hear what Lance has to say. Hey, can you hear me? Yes. Yes, sir. Yeah, so next. I'm not a Marxist, but uh, Richard Wolf, I don't know if Billy thinks he's not Marxist enough or what he thinks of Richard Wolf just because he's a, you know, a Marxist that you automatically agree in lockstep, but I like the guy a lot. He could be my treasury sec secretary in a heartbeat, even though I'm not a Marxist. And I would a million times over rather live in a pure Marxist, total Marxist state than a, than a pure fascist state, 100%. So, of course. But, frankly, you know, last time I looked, there's no major countries and probably not too many minor little island nations that have a utopia, right? Right. But I like democratic socialism. And it's got its problems. There's all kinds of weird stuff going on with some of this right-wing stuff and, you know, some of the Scandinavian countries. But basically, democratic socialism a la Scandinavia. I think that's about the best model. So I guess to segue to something else, though, being an anti-Islamist, but I mean, I'm clearly on the left, but, you know, I'm, not, I'm just about everything on a lot, most things, um, is that I'm clearly in Billy's view, Billy Bob's view, I'm definitely not a leftist, I guess. Because Stalin and Mao, okay, uh, uh, and Lenin, they're just, they're not even on my list of people to defend. You know, I mean, they're just not. They, 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 they killed or starved tens of millions of people each, or, or, or at least, you know, nine to 10, you know, whatever. Some of it was worth that. Okay. So no, they're not on my list of people to defend. You know, unless it's the end justifies the means that, that that ideologically they had a wonderful idea. They only had to kill off millions of people to get there. I don't buy it, you know. Sure, let me respond. Um, now, Ho Chi Minh, by the way, for what little I know, I don't pretend to know a lot. Ho Chi Minh was a nationalist. He went to Harvard. A lot of them did. That doesn't mean anything in and of itself. I think Harvard, but anyway, you know, Ivy League, whatever schools. And he went back and he was a nationalist. Now, you're surrounded by communist countries that are very powerful. And of course, his ideology was more Marxist. But he was not some kind of like Cold War, rah-rah, China, Russia. He was just a nationalist trying to do the best thing for his people. So I'm not putting down the idea of somebody doing a Marxist, socialist, communist revolution and all that stuff. But no, Mao, Lenin, and Stalin killed millions of people, and they were just as ruthless as Hitler. Just because they happen to be on the side of things that I happen to agree with the philosophically, don't make them any better than Hitler, in my view. Okay, and, and again, that's a very common view. And I mean, thanks for, you know, articulating that view. And let me just explain, you know, why I, I don't um, subscribe to that view. So, I mean, essentially... Um, a lot of people in the West have this certainty that, you know, 
um, Stalin and Mao killed millions of people. And, you know, honestly, in my opinion, um, I don't agree with that narrative, right? I think that is a, essentially a hoax. It's, an, it's anti-communist propaganda. Um, and I mean, that's a whole nother discussion, right? But again, I think that, you know, I have an understanding of history, which is definitely um, enables one to defend and support these historic figures. So, um, and I mean, I, I'm happy to get into that. I get into that all the time. I discuss these things all the time with people and I am able to mount a robust defense of Stalin and of Mao. And I mean, within the context of history. And it's, again, it's my opinion that your views are the result of a cradle to grave anti-communist indoctrination that is the norm in this country. And there's actually um, very compelling narratives that, um, that you know, um, when understood in context, you know, really change one's view of these figures. So, um, I mean, you know, I'll be glad to give you a follow-up. And again, we're a little bit off topic, but I mean, essentially um, there's a lot of Stalin and Mao hatred and I know um, where that comes from. And I mean, it comes from a, what I believe to be a fundamentally wrong understanding of history. But, um, you know, do you, have, you, have, you wanna follow up on that? I mean, is that something we're gonna pursue now or do we wanna kind of stay on topic? No, 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 let's stay on topic. But but it's not a matter of opinion. I'll just say this. One of us has to be right and one of us has to be wrong. So we're not going to do it here because I don't have the affidavits or the links or whatever, right, to kind of prove my point. But one, it's not a matter of, in my opinion, they didn't do that. They either did or they didn't. I think they did. You think they didn't. So, you know what I mean? It's not a matter of opinion. So let's just leave it at that. You know, but yeah. no, I, I mean, I believe that when I read between the lines of history, I read the history yeah. books written by, you know, uh, right, you know, rich, white Harvard grads. I read history books written by proletariat types. They did it. So I, that's just like, I think that my, that that's the fact, but it's not a matter of opinion either way. But let's get back on topic. Okay. So uh, patriotic socialism, like I said, I'm very close to being a Marxist. Uh, definitely. I wouldn't, but I'm an anti-ismist. I really am. I don't think socialism or Marx. And I think a little bit of capitalism, if it's controlled by the way, corporations are not people. That's such an absurd falsity because what the government giveth, the government taketh away, can taketh away. Corporations are a legal entity that are allowed because they do good stuff for society. And I don't care how Federalist or Adam Smith, for instance, or Hamilton or any of those guys, they would destroy the capitalist system that we have now. They, they would, did not want this. They wanted uh, everybody to be kind of rich white male. Well, not everybody can't be white. But anyway, so so in other words, but as far as being a Marxist, or, uh, you know, and being you know, left to center and all that, I have a, a, a big American flag hanging outside my house. A friend, a friend of mine who was a, a non-vet, but he, he climbed up a Perkins pole. A, a far-right evangelical Christian guy owned this chain of restaurant called Perkins. There's still a few left. It's a 24-7 restaurant. And hey, we're famous for having these very big flagpoles with these huge flags. He took one. He shimmied up the pole and took one. Then he took another one because the one he took first was frayed at the end a little bit, but still not ready to have to dispose of. He gave me that one, and I used to display it from like Memorial Day to Labor Day. And I would love to, I love to have conversations with conservatives about what day is Flag Day, June 14th. What do the colors of the flag mean? They don't even know. So fuck these phony patriots and fuck these phony Christians, okay? 
I was considered more of a Christian by honest to goodness religious. I was raised Catholic, so I understood a little bit. But when I was considered myself an agnostic, I was called more spiritual or religious than so-called religious people because I cared about people. So people can take all their isms, whether it's socialism, Marxism, it's like a, this isn't badism, Maoism, bagism, just like John Lennon said, ism, ism, ism. You can take them all and sh- put them all where the sun don't shine. I mean, I, frankly. Do you, um, you know, um, so Marx, Marxism, I mean, he, he really observed reality and he, you know, he provided an explanation and that explanation kind of um, divided society, divided capitalist society. Um, in two classes, but those classes weren't arbitrary, right? So, so the classes are are derived of by one's relationship to the means of production. So, yeah, it's so a have, you have not. Yeah, well, no, 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 it's it's not really. So, the means of production. So, you're either a worker. You either relate to the means of production by selling your labor to the means of production or you are an owner of the means of production. So that's really what class is. So, so it's, not, it's not anything arbitrary. It's a material. It's a, based on one's relationship to the means of production. So of you know, ca- capitalism is when the means of production are owned privately and run for profit. So those private owners that run it for profit, they get profit by exploiting your labor. And then the people that have to sell their labor, of course, you know, that's how they survive, by, by earning a wage. So, so, you know, so this is like a fundamental reality. Like it's not something you can just dismiss because you don't like isms. So, but, so this is, this I'm is, not, it's a I'm not denying re- what you're no, saying. No, no, no both no, things no. can be true. I agree with everything you said and I'm still an yeah. anti-ismist. You're, you're telling me I have to be an ismist or I have to be a Marxist or I have to be a capitalist. No, I'm definitely a working class guy. I definitely think Marx is brilliant. I definitely think he was spot on and all the rest of it. But no, that doesn't mean that I either have to be a capitalist or a Marxist. Yeah. That's, that, yeah. that, that's like saying you have to vote for Democrats or Republicans. Fuck it all. No, I don't. I, I'm, I'm kind of just saying by rejecting all isms, you're also rejecting, um, you know, somebody's description of reality, right? So an ism no, is just what some, how somebody chooses to, to observe and perceive reality. No, and, I'm not talking and, about and what he observed. I'm talking about using people. that. I'm talking about yeah. using that to impose a certain system on people that may not want it. As far as I'm concerned, if you want to be free market capitalist, go for it. But you're not getting any help from the government. You want to be a full blown Marxist and have a little business and employ people and have it be like a worker co op thing. You get every advantage. So I'm fully okay. down with a mixed so, economy. I don't so, think you have to. In other words, you know, you don't have to say, oh, free market means they get to run everything. Fuck that. You you tax people over a million dollars at 98% and you don't let them get any loopholes. There's a lot of ways to control the wealth uh, accumulation. But, but, but Marx also points out, you know, that the government itself is run of, by, and for the capitalist class. So, so you, know, um, you know, folks in America like to talk about the government like we can influence it, like we have a say. And that's ignorant because we don't. Because guess what? We're working class, and the government is not of, by, or for us. So, so again, that's where well, Leninism that's, that's, comes in. Leninism talks okay. about the science of class struggle and the science of overcoming capitalist dictatorship and replacing it with working class dictatorship. So I'm with you. you can want you can want whatever you want from our government, okay? And you're not gonna get it. That's what I'm saying. I understand that. I understand that. But you know what? What you're saying. Until people start embracing the reality 
that I'm describing here um, and, and stop rejecting it as an ism that doesn't pertain to them because it does. It's fucking reality. Like that's the fucking okay, reality. Okay. Just, just like, just like Marx and Lenin described. So, so, you know, you can reject that, but it doesn't change the reality. And if you reject it, guess what? You're not going to change shit. You got me? Okay, but you don't have all the facts that are available in the universe. So let me throw a couple at you here, or, or maybe an analysis. So I agree. Everything you said is 100% true about the government. They work for the capitalist system. 100%, 100% agree. But, but there's a theory written a long, 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 like hundreds of years ago, I believe it. I don't know who it was, but here's what they said. Ultimately, Every government, every leader, you know, ruling class, eventually you can only rule with the consent of the governed. Now, let me explain. Before you had countries, right, Germany and Italy were the last ones. You know, uh, France, of course, unified early. It became the first really rich nation over there in Europe, kind of. You know, uh, but they all, but uh, originally when it went from the Gauls to the French or the Anglo-Saxons to England or from, you know, whatever, you know, they weren't all countries. So in other words, you had feudal societies and you had little kingdoms, fiefdoms. You didn't have one overall ruling king. Obviously, that meant they were a lot less powerful. Obviously, it meant that various kings or kingdoms could compete against each other. So you might have Bavaria fight against Saxony or whatever. Okay. So you weren't as all powerful as when you were king of England or king of France. And, could, and what happened to them? They got beheaded. Okay, so they had ultimate power given from God. They lived in gold-plated palaces, and they chopped their fucking heads off. So first of all, I think what you're saying is fundamentally a false premise to say that governments always control the people. The people can never do anything. I'm a populist. Now, let's face it. Haiti is about the only, uh, at least in the Western Hemisphere, slave uprising I've ever heard of where they actually won. And they've been paying for it ever since. I'm not Pollyanna. Oh, just the proletariat. All they have to do is fight hard and, and they can overtake the government. No, it rarely happens. But no, I don't believe for a minute because, you know, that, 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 that like the people can never have any control. And by the way, what does a free capitalist person do in a Marxist society? What if they walk around saying, you know, free markets all the way to hell with Marxism. Are they okay? I mean, is there protest allowed in these societies or is every person got to be like part of the team and part of the Marxist plan? I, I really don't know. Well, I guess you're asking a question. I mean, you, you, you mentioned that you rejected the idea that the people can take back the power. And I never said the people can't take back the power. I mean, no, well, course, I went further what, than that. I said what, the people ultimately what, always have the power. Ultimately, they always have the power. That doesn't mean they can lift a pinky and, and take over. But ultimately, the people always have the power. Speaking of Chris Hedges, he says, you know what works? Revolutions don't happen because they got bloodier and they killed more of the rich guys. It's when half a million people every day are circling the administrate the, the capital. That's what causes revolutions. Like the guy he mentioned who went to some junket or some meeting, international whatever, leaders meeting, G7 or whatever hell it was. He he said, I ain't coming back because they've been surrounding the place of the palace or, the, you know, capital, whatever, every day, half a million strong. So that's my point. Speaking of Marxists and revolutions, that's how they happen. OK, and so it doesn't have to be Marxists that do it. It could be yellow vests. They're mostly right wing. So now I totally, totally reject the idea that it's got to be a Marxist based revolution to make any sense or to be real or to be no. I think that's bullshit. That's one way, maybe. And by the way, tell me a country. I mean, I guess you would give me China and uh, I got to worship or I got to respect Z now, too. Give me a successful where they didn't kill. Oh, that's right. You don't think they kill all those millions. But uh, so I won't even ask the question. But uh, yeah, no, I, re I reject that whole idea that 
like, no, no, no. If only I could just get to the nut of your special wisdom, then I would understand that Marxist is the only way. That's like Christian saying that that's the only way or atheist saying there's no way you should believe in God. I think it's all bullshit. I'm sorry. I have to speak my piece. But I think that your premise is kind of full of shit. And I mean, that's 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 you're right as an American. You know, you can you can have your own opinion and, you know, um, again, I, I think that's, that there's a, there's, a, there's a fundamental reality of oppositional class interests, which, you of know, course explain, there is. yeah, and so I'm not sure what you're rejecting about that, but you go, go right ahead and, and I'm rejecting. saying I, that to understand good and evil, you don't have to find Jesus and to understand that it's about the haves and the have nots, you don't have to know who the fuck Marx is. All you gotta do is look at reality. Okay. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what I like, how to I respond like how to that. You, I mean, that's that's that's. Well, that's, that's my point. Why do I need to understand Marx? Why can't I just go look and say, "Wow, look at that guy. He's 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 really sweating, and he don't have but a shack to live in. Well, look at that guy. He's got yachts, and wow, yeah. he's the one that runs the company. I don't need to know Marx to observe that and say, "Yeah, this guy's an asshole, and this guy deserves more." Who the fuck needs to know Marx to know that? You're, no, I agree. You know, Marx is an observer and he, he, he described what he saw and everybody can see the same thing. And I saw the same thing too. And then I discovered Marx and I discovered how correct he was. And so that's about it. You don't have to know Marx. You just have to look around to understand that, you know, it's, it's a class struggle. Uh, the ruling class is comprised of by and for the capitalists and it's not in our interest. But, but here's the thing. So my criticism, it wasn't necessarily about you, Lance. I, was, I wasn't getting mad at you. I was just venting my frustration at the the you know the, the Western masses who fundamentally do never never talk about class. The idea of class is anathema to them, or worse, they you know they they reject it in favor of um, this idea of oh no, it's democracy versus totalitarianism. That's the real fundamental paradigm here, and and I I think that whole liberal narrative of democracy versus totalitarianism has been manufactured and created by the capitalist class to keep people from seeing the obvious fundamental reality of oppositional class interests. But, um, you know, yeah. um, so, so I, I, you know, I'm not sure where we agree, where we disagree, even though I was calling you wrong and you were calling me wrong, we probably are saying the same things um, and okay. just saying it in different me, ways from our different understandings. Here. Let me uh, interject here. Oh. I coming through. Can I, can I say a say something for a second here you're breaking up Pax. let me just yeah. say that uh, we are anytime we bring up marx even though people came here to listen anytime marx and lenin is brought up people feel that they're being shoved down their throats because they're it's already such a you know a trigger word and uh yeah it brings up i like a lot i like marx a whole lot like a way lot like brilliant like i love the guy but, that, but that's not, you know what I mean? It's like, no, 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 I, I'm not, I'm not, you know. But here's the other thing. The flip side of that is I think the slave-owning white patriarchal uh, constitution writers, because it wasn't like slavery was like a, just a thing everybody accepted. No. And there's plenty of folks who said, screw this federal government. It's too powerful. I'm against it. And so it wasn't like it was accepted as just the most wise thing ever. But converse to Marx, who I think is brilliant and great and wonderful, I'm not a Marxist. And even though I have tons of problems with the founders and all that stuff, I think that for enlightenment age folks, without anything really to, you know, as a precedent, I, I think they could have done a lot worse. Oh. Sorry about that, Dan. 
for you know no, any of my attacks personally again i'm just venting my my general particularly aimed at you um and you know we appreciate your commentary so we do have loki up again um he he perhaps wants to I was just going to make one point, uh, especially with, I think this is probably what, what causes more, more division, especially within the left, but within the working class in general is that you have, yeah, you have some people that sound like they're, even if they're not, but because of the language they use, they sound like they're coming like more from an academic point of view. And that they're just there to kind of analyze it according to the tools of analysis that they've been given. And they're not always as willing to simplify it or put things into plain language or into like actionable plans and stuff. And, you know, working class people, especially the ones that work with their hands, they're like, okay, that's the situation. Now what the fuck do we do about it? You know, that's, that's the mentality. And of course you need a correct plan before you go but you can't you know anybody that does like project-based work knows you're never gonna get you're never gonna make your work of art or your project 100 percent the way you saw it in your head you know it's kind of express itself in a different way so i think people have to kind of act when they know like hey i got i got it mostly good let's fucking try something and then you can gather more data from your mistake you know you can learn you can learn by you know doing the stuff so sometimes it's better just to try something than to you know sitting sit on your ass like theorizing what you could do as the opportunities for action kind of pass you by you know yeah so i think i, I think there's there's definitely a problem with um you know academia not being accessible to the working class for sure um you know there's a lot of, you know, Marxist, Leninist, socialists who I, um, I value and I think are saying a lot of great things. And yeah, like what they're saying um, might not be, you know, sound like, like anything that is able to be made sense of by a typical working class person who unfortunately, you know, has a political awareness that's been resulted from either Fox News or CNN or the New York Times or whatever. So I think, you know, that's a whole whole other aspect of this is how the media has done such a disservice to um, people's conception of things, their conception of socialism, their conception of capitalism, their conception of what democracy is, of what the United States government represents. I mean, all these things are totally perverted in the vast majority of people's minds. And, um, you know, it's unfortunate because, you know, there is a reality that actually exists. And so what I think we're at the stage now is that, you know, we really need to start waking people up and people need to get educated and informed and, and understand the, 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 the fundamental, fundamental class basis of, of what is going on. And I think um, once that happens, and I think it's happening now, I think more and more people are cluing in, you know, then we can get, we can develop a, a, a real a coalition that can actually force change domestically. You know, right now, when I look out around the globe, I see China, I see Russia, you know, they are, they are forcing global paradigm shifts right now. You know, there's shifting taking place. That's, that's outside. That's, that's abroad, but domestically, but you know, not all I, I want, paradigm shifts, though. they're not all good. 
Yeah, well, yeah. that again is a whole nother discussion as well. Um, um, you know, I was going to say that um, the that often the the universities become a a source of misinformation because they're so trusted and they become the soundboard like the soundboard of empire or the establishment or the status quo or whatever however whatever description you want to give and i think a good example of that is probably with like what do you call what do they call critical race theory now they had to complicate it more when it was just simply civil it was just civil rights you know they kind of they turn it into a cultural issue when it it's really a, a matter of logic that certain you know that people don't want the police beating the shit out of them for no fucking reason or killing them without just cause you know so it's it's really oh, simple that, that, you know? i could say this color person that color person but yeah don't the, like police shouldn't be fucking shooting people without just cause otherwise the police should be criminally prosecuted every fucking time you know that's it yeah and i think there is a concerted and conscious effort by the ruling class establishment to divide society along cultural issues because they don't want they don't want you know they can't use economic issues they can't use fundamental issues so they try and divide us using these cultural issues identity politics um gender identity, sexual identity. So, um, you know, guns, God, and gays, you know, these are, these are cultural wedge issues that the ruling establishment um, is very adept at dividing the working class and turning us on each other's throats. And again, um, you know, in my, not to get back to Marx and Lenin, but I mean, this coincides, you know, precisely with the class analysis of these, of these folks. And, and, um, you know, I haven't heard a better a better explanation for why things are as they are than I did when I read, you know, Marx and Lenin. So, um, you know, you don't have to embrace Marx and Lenin. You can just see what's going on. But 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 they help you to see clearly. And and again, you know, these are cultural issues that are used on purpose to divide uh, the working class so that. We do not unite and demand, you know, real substantive change. So, um, but you know, that's that that's what's going on. Um, so, but okay. So we're talking about patriotism. Um, you, do you have any thoughts, Loki, about patriotism or um, how how you know the ruling class kind of uses patriotism right. to 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 right, convince right. the working class to support their agenda, and it's self-defeating because patriotism of the working class would be totally different and is totally yeah, different. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll say something. that um, I'll say that patriotism, in, as in our current definitions, because especially with political words, you know, definitions can evolve, change, flip-flop, and all, all kinds of shit because it's advantageous sometimes to distort the meaning of things yeah. for certain people. But um, yep. patriotism to me is different than what would be called the nationalism. Patriotism right. is like being proud of yourself, having a like a, a value of self worth, you know, and that comes from you know being where you're from culturally, geographically, or whatever. And nationalism is you know this country is the be all end all. Fuck everybody else. You know what I mean? So patriotism doesn't have to put somebody else down. It just 
it kind of it's a you know it's a sense of pride just like you don't have to be you you don't have to be considered racist to be proud of your culture or your identity or wherever the hell you come from yeah no i agree with that and the article we link to does a great job of distinguishing patriotism from nationalism so whereas nationalism kind of promotes a blind support for a government um you know um patriotism is more geared towards supporting and wanting the best for one's country right um you know want, wanting the best for one's country and not necessarily just blind support for a government so nationalism and patriotism definitely have differences um but again um you know a national a patriotism of the working class is going to be different than than patriotism of the of the capitalist class oh definitely the i don't know if you can call the you know that the capital capitalist class patriots in the first place even if they want to say it like if you're moving your fucking money offshore where it doesn't benefit the people in the country where you come from or you're based from that's that's not patriotic when you're moving jobs overseas that's not that's the opposite of patriotic you know that's all so you know people have to be yeah just people's feet have to be held to the fire over their hypocrisy really and if and if you know they cannot reconcile with their hypocrisy or kind of get get in program get get in step to like make some shit happen which they probably won't because that's not it's really like like you were saying before our objectives are not their objectives but they will say that they share the same objectives in order right. to get elected you know yeah for sure i mean you know they they lie they they lie they deceive and <laughs> That's how they maintain this um, this illusion of democracy. That's how they maintain yeah, they, they, this illusion of people eating it up. You know. Yeah. Yep. That's 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 the, that's what we're up against. That's that's the problem, and and that's that's what we're going to have to um, uh, deconstruct and build something better in its place. And that's probably going to sure. take take some time. Well, people need to feel productive. Honestly, that's like because people already feel desperate and like you can't like there's people there that have probably like they've had really bad experiences and, you know, who knows, maybe uniquely bad experiences that we can't imagine and like coming in. And I'm not saying you guys do it in general, but like I said, people from academic standpoint and mentality come in with seems like a little with their nose in the air. They come in you know, kind of degrading and uh, a little patronizing. So you have to, like, people need help on the most practical things. And then you you have, you know, people would have to learn this theory and be able to explain it in, in plain terms, but also explain it to people in a way where they can, they can use it practically in their lives, you know? And see, yeah. we're, where I'm at right now, we got, um, we got like little community studios, like workshops. So there's like, there's places where people can do woodwork, where people can like repair their bikes and, and shit, or like, you know, what's the other one? Uh, pottery. Although that's, that's more, that's more of a hobby, but the, but the bike shop and also, you know, garage auto garages that you can rent, you know, you can rent the tools in the garage per hour and fix your own damn car 
you know what I mean? These are and have all the tools you need to do it correctly. So you're not just freaking in the mud in the rain with a fucking flashlight trying to bear keep your car barely hanging on. Like these these all help people and they all help people, you know, keep the wealth that they do have. And then on top of that, people need to spend their fucking money within their neighborhoods. And oh, that's why I never I was never able to get this out on any other show. Like this thought was was um hitting me every time, but but for some reason I couldn't get it out because I have to chew through, of course, the subjects that people bring up. But um, like right now, we're kind of in the middle of the economic crisis, right? You guys would agree? Yeah. So we're in this economic crisis. A lot of uh, global supply chains are breaking down a little bit, you know, because especially because of the fluctuation in, in gas prices and any fluctuation in oil affects the oil dollar. So, like, you know, it's, 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 a little, it's a little unstable right now, but it's a great opportunity for anybody that has any, like, if you're involved in even a small way, like, any chance to just reinvest into local economies, especially with food production and production of anything that, you know, humans need in their daily lives. Like, people have to fucking localize their needs, you know, if... If you're not if you're not getting you know I'm not saying localize your production of fucking gold chains and Jordans and shit but like anything that you need to survive the production needs to be localized and there's a good there's a good chance to do it I've been lo- I've been noticing you know I'm over here in Europe but I've been noticing in my store that um that the price of organic food and non-organic food you know shipped from far away has about equalized so it's actually a there's a big chance to to murder a lot of these monopolies just by you know choosing where to spend your money, at, you know making a better choice. You know that's for those who can afford it. You know what I mean? If people are struggling, you got to buy the cheapest thing, whatever, no matter what. You just you know you take care of yourself. But but I think it is an opportunity to break the back of that system a little bit. So I you know. I, I agree. I mean, it's definitely not a bad idea to, you know, invest locally, spend your dollars locally. I mean, keep, keep the money, the money in your immediate community. Like I'm not going to oppose that. Um, but like you said, um, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're on a, you know, paycheck to paycheck kind of thing, I mean, you got to go with the least expensive, which isn't always going to be local, but no, those are, those are true things. I was wondering if um, there's anybody here who would like to take the opposite side in the, um, you know, patriotic socialists versus those who oppose the term and the, the you know, the advocacy of Pat Sox or patriotic socialists. Um, we, we have a few people in the room. Um, does anybody want to, want to, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, argue in favor of the anti-patriotic socialist viewpoint just for um, entertainment purposes? Um so I have Vlad here, so I hope he's responding to my call. Um, maybe, maybe Pete can unmute him. And do you wanna you wanna jump in with what I'm asking, or are you here for something else, sir? No, I'm here exactly for what you're asking. I would okay, say sure. that I don't know how socialists are going to be able to reconcile patriotism within the United States, being a capitalist country and having the history that it's had. We we fought 
one of the greatest wars, World War II, with the Allied nations that brought about a socialist government, the Nazis. So it's kind of all, and the reason I say that is because how do you, how do white supremacists like the neo-Nazis and the KKK reconcile any of that? If you remember Lincoln, uh, I don't mean Abraham Lincoln, but Lincoln, one of the races back in, I think in the 60s, the one that got murdered, he was a Nazi, but he was also a socialist. That wouldn't really fly really well in a capitalist, free, de democratic, freedom-loving uh, people of the United States. How do you reconcile that? How, how do you convince people, I could be socialist, yet I'm a proud American, when the whole of it, the entirety of the, of, the, of the American history, U.S. history, goes against you? How do you reconcile this? If our history has been to, to be fighting cold, the Cold War, Soviet Union, a socialist country, how do you reconcile that? Please, can somebody chime in? Yeah, you know, I, I can, Vlad. Hey, I appreciate you um, ad, uh, jumping on here and, and trying, to, trying to help me out, um, you know, so we can, we can dig deeper into this and we yeah. can... And, and remember, you know, we... this is not a personal attack. I don't even know, other than when I see the guy with the Stalin in Soviet, I know some of you guys are socialist Marxists. I'm not, but I, I tell you, I'm not saying there's no room for socialists. You guys have some good ideas. I'm yeah. just saying like this, do not throw, and you know, you're going to understand this term. It's an old one. Do not throw the baby with the bathwater. In other words, do not destroy the United States in order to implement any type of socialist policies or more correctly, social program. You know, you could get yeah. what you want. And these are going to be generations way after me because I'm Gen X or at 49 years of age. You mm. could get what you want, but don't come at it where you're destructive. In other words, don't be BLM and Antifa burning down the town. You're not going to get anywhere like that with people. Even the old people will rise out of the convalescent home and come and shoot you. So there's got to be a decorum okay. of respect for the old, a respect for tradition, despite that you might not, you know, you might not like MAGA or Trump. Many of us are going to be around, you know, so, and, 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 and yeah. all this polarization, all, all is leading to, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lie to you, is, is, uh, is planting the seeds of the next civil war. If there's not an understanding in a common ground between political parties, including the screwed up ones right now in power, and you know who I mean, and those that want to come about, because people are not going to stand for this. And there's already a talk, even Bernie Sanders said it. When he, when he was reading surveys, 82 to 86% of the people are pissed off. There's a talk of third and fourth parties. And mm -hmm. there's also a talk of a possible civil war. We're, mm -hmm. We might not see it, but it's there. And people have guns. And they're ready to use that Second Amendment. So I tell you guys, respectfully, I'm not against you. I don't, I'm not a hater. I'm a fellow American. Walk and be careful where you thread. That's all I say. I'm not here to hate on you guys. Go ahead. Well, I mean, I, I think we have, you know, fundamentally different conceptual frameworks and understandings, not only about history, but about contemporary reality. So, um, you know, I think we're, we're coming at this from two different perspectives with two different ideas regarding what socialism is, you know, what the U.S. government represents, you know, what, what this country is, what it has been, what we would like it to be. Like I think we're just we're just talking past each other. We're 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 not even we're not even you know coming close to 
having having the same kind of understanding where we could actually have a a a, a thoughtful, coherent, um, um, pro, uh, productive discussion. But um, you know, I, I kind of would say this. Um, you know, as a proponent, so. First, I invited people, somebody to come on and advocate for for socialism without the patriotism, because that's kind of, you know, what what we were trying to talk about here. And that's, you know, the article we linked to kind of addresses that um, that that um, that argument between socialists who don't think that patriotism is the way to brand themselves and socialists who want to embrace the idea of patriotism. Um, and so it sounds like you're an anti-socialist, which is fine. And, and I heard you, um, you know, you accuse Hitler of being a socialist. And again, my perspective on that is that, you know, Hitler represented the opposite end of the, the political spectrum from socialism. Now, you can't do that and be upfront and honest about that. You can't say, I hate the working class and, um, and vote for me. No, you've got to pretend that you're for the working class. That's how you get into power. And, and then you do things that are absolutely against the interests of the working class. And I think that's what Hitler did. Um, but he, you know, he lied and he manipulated people's biases and their prejudices against Jews and their own national, their own national pride as being pro-German and as them being victims, right? Victims of history, victims of World War I victims of of capitalism even even though you know he was funded by the capitalists you know he was put in place by the capitalists so so i just think it's fundamentally you know um i disagree with your your conceptual framework which which sees hitler as a socialist and and because of that you know i'm not sure how productive of a discussion we can have um you know it's we, we would just be talking past each other but um you know, and then and the same thing. Like you never, you never, you never brought up any kind of, um, you know, the idea of of class consciousness of 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 having oppositional class interests didn't really enter into your your conceptual framework. You know, you talked about don't mess up this country, don't change this country. Well, I mean, again, I think this country is of by and for the 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 capitalist class. And, and I think, you know, we're not, we don't want to destroy the country. We simply want a government that's going to be of, by, and for the vast majority and not just the wealthy billionaire class who own the media, own the banks, own the courts, own the intelligence community, own the surveillance apparatus, own both political parties. And guess what? Also the, you know, the, the, the governments of Western Europe. So, um, I mean, that's kind of what we, the people are up against and, and we need to, you know, we need to replace um you know this capitalist dictatorship with a government of by and for the people it's pretty simple i think it's a message that who, who can argue with that message i mean maybe vin vin would you like to argue with that message or you, you got something else to say i'll play a little devil's advocate um i guess my well there's i do believe it to some extent but i guess the problem is uh culturally americans are because I agree, you can't have, you can't really have effective socialism without patriotism. But the problem is, if you have a culture that somewhat, I would say Americans are pretty conservative compared to other Western countries. And it seems a lot of, first of all, I don't think there are a lot of any serious socialists in the US. But even if there are, they seem to be very 
uh, into social issues and Americans have just are so divided on that stuff. Not to mention, and I'm not even talking about foreign policy and all this kind of stuff where socialists will have critiques which are, you know, obviously valid regards to foreign policy. Uh, you can all you can always make a distinction between the government and the people. That's fair, but I'm talking specifically about the people. How do you build a movement that is unifying enough without letting go of some of those, you know, social issues, social issues type stuff? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, um, this, you know, our society, we really face some tremendous seemingly insurmountable challenges to develop any kind of coalition or broad-based, um, you know, working class structure that can, you know, can even think to come up against the the ruling class establishment. I mean, you know, they, they control all the platforms of media. Um, they control the intelligence community, the surveillance apparatus, um, you know, and they're willing to kill, right? I mean, we look back historically you know, they're willing to assassinate people that get powerful. I mean, right now, Julian Assange is being tortured. The British are torturing him. The U.S. really wants to torture him, too. So they're setting they're making an example. So, you know, we're up against um, a, a, a an enemy that definitely, you know, pursues his interests without any moral restraint whatsoever. And 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 really one of the one of the most the worst things that, you know, they do is the day to day cradle to grave brainwashing of the citizenry, you know, through every means that they have available, you know, the printed press, the news on TV, the 24 hour networks, um, Hollywood, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, they're not promoting any, any kind of, any kind of intelligent, thoughtful analysis of reality, especially what a reality that's grounded in class struggle and oppositional class interests. I guess so, this is my, this is my uh, point though. Yes, I think the thing I'm I want to say is, if you look at other societies, they can rally around things like culture, ethnicity, religion. There's so many different variables where they can rally around. In the U.S., what do you? How do you build patriotism? What are you rallying around? You just have a divided you know, society in culture, right? You have you have people that are more socially conservative in different yeah. areas of the country. You have no. other types of people on the coast. How the hell are you going to bring all these people together? It's interesting, you know, white nationalists have this conspiracy, right, that, that immigration is being promoted specifically to, you know, not just destroy and displace the white race, but, but also because, you know, it entrenches their power because it ensures that a broad-based working class can't really unify against them. Um, and, and I think there's some truth to that. And, you know, don't, don't get me wrong. I love multiculturalism. I am a huge proponent of multiculturalism. I am glad and happy that I get to be around so many cultures and ethnicities at work, you know, and in my community. It's awesome. It's, it's really good. Um, but you're right. It can, it can be an obstacle. It can be an obstacle to unity and to developing the kind of, um, you know, political force that will be necessary to overcome um, the the entrenched establishment, um, but right. you know that's the topic. That's the point of this discussion. That's the that's the point of um, you know bridging these difficulties because that's the work that we have to do. That's the only way we can do it, and it's what we have to do. So um, you know things like this is like a little drop in the ocean, 
but but that's that's why we're doing it because we need to raise awareness we need to help people understand that we are you know we are um united in our in our own political and economic interests right so that's what unites us uh economically and politically um as a working class you know because because we all have to um rent you know we have to in order to survive we have to sell our labor in the labor market and that that alone is a uniting factor that we can get behind and we want to have a government that is of by and for us the working class and not of the owners the owners of the corporations where we have to go and sell our labor so that basically in a nutshell is um is 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 the issue so you know um, and but they do, you know, the establishment uses religion, race, you know, sexual identity, orientation, gender identity, all these things to to divide and distract us. And we have to work past that. We have to be, um, you know, smarter and more mature and, and, and keep the big picture in mind when addressing these issues and not let them become divisive and not let them turn us against each other and, you know, set us at each other's throats. So, but uh, thank you for your questions. And I want, if you have more questions, yeah, I, I, no I'm not kicking you off. You got, do you want to, you want to say anything else or? I'll hop okay. off, man. No, that the main thing is just that point of like, how do you build patriotism with such a diverse country? I guess like it's easy. I can go to, it is not, I can go to an African right. country. I can go to China. They, they have things that can rally around culturally and ethnically, but yeah. Thanks. That's man. true. It's something we're up against. No doubt. You're welcome. Thank you for, for joining us. Um, so Derek, I believe, I forget what you were saying earlier, but I think you were on earlier. So, but that's great. Uh, please contribute whatever, um, it was on your mind. Hey guys. Uh, no, I wasn't on earlier, but, uh, coincidentally, I was <clears throat> talking with a few people yesterday, last night, about, uh, roughly this subject matter, um, not specific to socialism though. Um, I don't know if that's coincidental or if maybe I think Pax was there. Maybe he just kind of was sorting that through his head and thought it was an interesting topic to to keep running on. I don't know, but anyway, I would I would say that uh, you know patriotic socialism would be just as uh, useless, um, mindless, um, and potentially damaging as uh, patriotic uh, capitalism or patriotic communism uh, or all kinds of other isms, I suppose. Um, if, if uh, you know, if, if uh, a definition of the national interest isn't acknowledged that uh, specifically prioritizes uh, democracy and uh, securing, promoting, defending it, uh, you know, in ways that are consistent with uh, humanitarian sort of ideals, um, ideals of equality and uh, a genuine commitment to to those ideals, you know, in a, in a rough kind of way. You know, um, I mean, uh, we, we could go down the capitalist path, we could go down socialist or communist paths, uh, the one thing that is never going to change is that this country is supposed to be a, about democracy. All of those isms will fall eventually if they fail to to uh, recognize that. I don't know. What do you guys think? 
Well, um, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I understand exactly what you're saying. I mean, socialism, patriotic socialism, I mean, it basically wants the best for this country. And then what they think is best for this country is to replace, you know, capitalist dictatorship with a government that is of, by, and for the working class. Um, so in that way, I, I can't see how social, you know, patriotic socialism can be as dangerous as, um, you know, capitalist patriotism. Um, I think real patriots who want the best for this country, you know, are want the best for the vast majority by definition. And the vast majority of us are working class and the vast majority of us. And that's why ours is the true patriotism and theirs is the false patriotism. That they exploit the term, they 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 abuse the term, they pervert the term, and then they it's jingoistic and and it and, and in their perversion of the term, it's used to further the interests of themselves, and it's it's used to, you know, harm the interests of those foolish people that are dumb enough to buy into their jingoistic bullshit. You know what I'm saying? So sure. um, it's tough for me to. Um, it's, it's, it's tough for me to understand what you're saying when you say and that, you know, you know patriotic I'm, socialism can be just as damaging as capitalist socialism. What I'm getting you know, at all of those people that you're referring to would say the exact same things um, about socialist patriotism or patriotic socialism if it failed to prioritize democracy. You see what I'm saying? Okay. Um, you know... I get that, but then I think, you know, I think then we have to talk about what is democracy, you know, the idea of democracy. And again, um, if we're talking about a government of, by, and for the working class, I mean, that's, that's, that's democracy, right? And what we have now is not democracy. So again, I don't see how, you know, um, um, the advocacy, the, you know, advocating the creation of actual democracy could be anti-democratic. I, I don't see that, but, 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 you know, the only way that could be true is if they were lying, right? If they really weren't, um, if they just pretended to be a government of, by, and for the working class, just like we have now. But um, again, I would not support them if they weren't, you know, actually a government of, by, and for the, the working class. Right. But if Probably, we look at history, yeah. we can see those claims have been, false claims that have been used to manipulate people and that sort of thing. So it's up to us to cut through the bullshit, right? I mean, how would you, yeah. how would you define, how would you personally define the national interest of the United States or how do you think it should be defined? Yeah. So again, you know, I, I kind of, the, the term national interest that gets us into this liberal conceptual framework, which I kind of think is, has been developed intentionally to obfuscate and conceal the reality of oppositional class interests. So every okay. nation, if it's, if it's capitalist, if, if a nation is capitalist, if they engage in the private ownership of the means of production, they're gonna they're gonna be a nation of two different interests: the working class for, interests for, and the capitalist Bill, class. I'm, I'm not yeah. asking for a critique on Western civilization. I'm just asking you personally: what do you think the the definition of the national interest should be? Yeah, the national interest should be the interest of the working class. So the working class of the United States, just like the working class of every country, is interested in peace and mutual prosperity, the development of society, the utilization of technology to improve lives. I mean, that's it. Like, you know, progress. Okay. You know, if, that's it, if that's it, you didn't include democracy, the strengthening, promoting, and defending of democracy. 
right? Well, what I what, what I said that? was the what what I said though was the you know the epitome of what democracy is. It's the advancement of the working class standards of living, quality of life, and and moving them into a better, more comfortable existence. So right, I mean, but those things have been said about all kinds is. of regimes that have had no interest in pursuing defending or, or promoting democracy. See, this is what I'm saying. It has to be language that, that you're comfortable with, I think. It has to be language that everyone is aware of. Otherwise, um, it gets confusing pretty fucking fast. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, I, I, I kind of see what you're alluding to. Um, you like, know, let's say um, if I ask a yeah. typical Republican, wh- how, how do they define the national interest? Chances are they're not going to include that either. You know, so all of these people, and not to pick on the Republicans, that could happen with Democrats just as easily. I mean, we we don't really know who we are. You know what I mean? Like, we don't have a a comprehensive kind of solid, rock solid understanding of what our national interest should be. We don't know, um, like, what our government is even referring to when they talk about foreign policy and use that kind of language that, you know national interest language you know primary secondary tertiary national interest we don't we don't know our our schools failed us you know just just like all kinds of socialists have never even heard of like victor berger you know they're they're socialists in america and yet they don't know anything about socialism in america um you know i'm not like picking on them i'm just saying that a lot of this information wasn't covered for really good reasons not good but reasons you know, that are, right. I think, increasingly obvious to keep us from understanding who we're supposed to be in the first place. And, and you know, especially like the early 1900s, the progressive era, um, you know, the absence of that information makes it much more difficult to understand what we need to do um, now. You know, there's like all kinds of great examples from that era that could inspire us. And there's nothing true. but a void. Yeah. So, I mean, definitely, um, you know, there's a lot of ignorance even within self-identified socialists about socialism, about the history of socialism. And that's, like you said, that's by design, right? That's not by accident. Um, I'm not sure I see that there's a lot of countries out there that have articulated and promoted this peace through mutual prosperity. Um, You know, I think China's doing that, honestly. I think China's pretty upfront and forward and, and their rhetoric kind of um, mimics my own. And I think they're, they're serious about it and they're putting it in practice. I'm not sure who you're talking about when you say that other countries have done the same. Um, and if they have, they certainly haven't, you know, lived up to the rhetoric or even tried to, because it, well, it, I mean, it was just a, there's, there's, there's too many examples to even draw on, you know, I, I mean, come on, right? How many, how many regimes on planet earth have made false claims about their intentions and their commitment to the people. There's just too many. I'm not even going to. Right. Well, no, I mean, that's, that's how capitalist dictatorship operates. I mean, they're not upfront and honest, but they're not alone. That's my point. They're not alone. There's all kinds of other regimes that would make anti-capitalist claims that have also shown that they were less than committed to the will of the people in all kinds of very dramatic ways, that's all. Well, and and I mean, that's the thing about democracy, right? Because guess what? The people are easily influenced by propaganda. I mean, our country is certainly proof of that. And so, you know, that's that's the other side of the coin is when we talk about will of the people, and and that's the thing. So, 
the will of the people can be manipulated and exploited and it can be you know it can be it can be turned into something through lies right it can be it, people can have can advocate for things that are against their own best interest based on lies and and that happens that happens a lot um and so you know i'm, I'm talking about genuine and authentic democracy is is furthering working class interests and i'm talking about core basic standards of living quality of life interests that isn't you know, derived from the exploitation of a of of a third world or of you know the 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 developing world that that, that happens today. I mean, because you know we have a pretty good quality of life in the United States compared to say Haiti or Guatemala or Honduras. But um, you know, how did we how did we get this quality of life? Well, it's from imperialism. It's from it's from the theft of resources, from capturing markets through violence. So, um, you know, I hear you, 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 you're, uh, you know, you're in like selling mode. I get it. But let's say, uh, I ask you, it, should, uh, promoting democracy uh, around the world be an objective that you support? Can you repeat that question one more time? Uh, do you think promoting democracy in other places on earth is something that we should support? So, I mean, obviously, the West claims to promote democracy, and, and it does the opposite. The West. I, the I know, West but I'm asking democracy. you. I'm just asking so, you, man. So, Billy, so, just so you. of course. Just you. Who, who would be it's just us here, Billy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, of course, who would be opposed to democracy? Like, I'm not opposed to democracy. I mean, that's – but but I think, you know, the best – Billy, that's not what I asked. You asked me if I would support promoting democracy abroad. That's what you asked me. Yeah, so just answer that That's question. That's what I'm explaining That's to you. Other... That's what I'm explaining okay. to you. Okay, I, I course, guess I prefer the I short support... version. It's kind of like yes or no, you know. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry I'm not answering exactly how you want. Maybe post your yeah, show me too. and then you can... I was hoping it would be simple, like so it wouldn't be weird yeah. and annoying. I'm I don't really sorry, need a five-minute mean... speech to a yes All or no right. question. I mean, Billy, come on. All right. Yeah, it's I, yes, I, right? I, I'm a proponent of democracy, but I am also wary of uh, – of, of developing a democratic consensus based on lies. So, so there's that caveat. Yes. I, I, I don't understood Billy. So you, you do support promoting democracy elsewhere on earth. That's what you're saying, right? Sure. Okay, great. So I agree with you. It's okay. just that we need to understand that that means promoting it by example. So that we make better decisions, domestic policies come first so that other countries can see that we are committed in a genuine way to those ideals. Instead of trying to impose ideals as hypocrites elsewhere in the world. You see where, what I'm getting at? We need to understand that. The strongest way to, to promote democracy is by example. I agree with that. Right. So th this is the kind of thing I'm talking about. If, if we just talk about patriotism without really thinking it fucking through, then it just becomes, well, nothing. It becomes useless, meaningless. It becomes trash. You know what I mean? Uh, I mean, I'm trying to, to, to put those two things together. And maybe when I, when I, when I listen to this show again um, and I can, I can reflect better. Yeah. I, I'm not sure. The, the connection you're trying to make there. I mean, of course, um, you know, a useless patriotism is useless and it can either it's it can it's a tool. It can be weaponized to no. to to well, I'm, one I'm of saying, the classes. 
a patriotism that doesn't promote democracy and, and ha- show a genuine commitment to that isn't really patriotism of any value. Okay. I mean, uh, I, mean I, I think I'd I love to make it more that. complicated, but I don't want to, you know, I'd rather just keep it short. So I don't want to piss yeah, you off either. No, you know? I think I can, I think I can agree with, um, you know, you know, a pism that, that, I mean, dem- democracy inherently is, 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 you know, furthering the best interest of the majority. And so, you know, a patriotism that doesn't do that is worthless. And I mean, I think that's what I'm saying too. I think we're saying the same thing. So I apologize if, um, if. No, it's all good. I just, I just think that failing to emphasize that, that responsible democratic promotion elsewhere in the world has to prioritize leading by example. That, that's, I think that's, that, that, that's what makes your commitment to democracy real. Anything okay. else is a false claim to me. You know what I mean? Oh, that, that's, that's fine. I, I hear what you're saying. And I think what you're saying is, is simply an indictment of the status quo, right? I mean, are, is that what you're trying to do is just kind of point out how the hypocrisy within the status quo when they give lip service of promoting democracy abroad and then they refuse to allow it at home? I mean, is that what you're oh, getting at? Or are you yeah, just, I'm not, just, I'm not just talking about yeah, – sorry to interrupt, man. My bad. Go ahead. Um, yeah, I'm not just talking about uh, the the hypocrisy of our leadership. I'm talking about the hypocrisy of we the people, you know, because of this this void that I was pointing out, this absence of information. It's up to us to educate uh, ourselves if if these institutions are failing us. Um, you know, that's on us. In in the end, whether we like it or not, we we are accountable for the. The government of our own creation, whether it becomes socialist, communist, or, or capitalist, you know, and, and coursing through the blood of every single fucking American should be nothing but prioritizing democracy, and that's where we fail because we've never understood that, and our schools decided to, I don't know, talk about the Pony Express instead of the shit that we needed to know. Yeah, and as long as we're talking about actual democracy, I'm fine with that. Um, I, I think my wariness to just totally dive in and agree with everything you're saying is that, you know, the term democracy itself is totally exploited, right? Because the West calls itself a democracy and they claim to be spreading democracy. So as long as we're not right. talking about that farce, you know, which is what it is, and we're talking about genuine democracy, the interest of the vast majority of working class people. Yeah, no, I'm on board with that. Yeah, right on. Yeah, like in the end, like I, I assume that you, Vlad, Jenny, maybe even Greg down there, would all be on board with a, a rock-solid definition of the national interests that you could rally behind that would be consistent with democratic values. And from that point, then we can make better decisions. You know, if we go down any road without understanding that that commitment should be intrinsic to, to I mean, it should it should be inseparable from our commitment to our country and, 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 and any kind of accurate description of who we are as a people, right? I don't know if I'm putting that in the best way, but we should think of it as this is who we are. This is what we're about, you know, without, without understanding that and really letting it sink in, then patriotism, you know, could mean anything or nothing at all. 
Yeah, and I think the same is true of democracy, right? Democracy can mean anything or nothing at all. Um, and so, so we have no, to be clear about no, what our not really. Yeah, that's okay. where you're losing me, though, Billy. I don't think right. I don't think a commitment to democracy is silly, useless rhetoric. I think uh, anything outside that commitment is silly, useless rhetoric without prioritizing democracy. Okay. I mean, we, I we mean, don't we don't define I, ourselves by whatever economic system that we support, do we? Because then we're just a bunch of goofy monkeys running around fucking screeching at each other. We believe um, in, in, in the right to self-determination, the value of human life and the commitment to, you know, one's ability yeah. to influence their own government. I mean, just basic you know, shit, right? We have to prioritize that. Yeah. So again, I know I agree with you in, in the promotion of, you know, the interests of the vast majority of working class people. Um, but what, what the interesting question then becomes, you know, how do we get that? How do we how do we implement that against this entrenched power that is going to kill and die before they, they, they cede power to the working class? So that's the struggle. I mean, that's the you know, that's where Marxism, Leninism comes into play, because, you know, Lenin has a lot of insight into how to successfully, you know, overthrow a capitalist class because they've done it. You know, Mao, Mao has done it. Um, it. It's happened. You know, it's 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 doable. But, um, you know, it doesn't you know, it's not just going to you know, they're not just going to cede power willingly. Right. They're not just going to give up. So, yeah, so the you. question is, you know. How, how to do it. And I think the first thing we have to get everybody on board with understanding the issues, the fundamental class structure where the entrenched power is a class of people um, who, who, who are class conscious and they, and they see the working class as the enemy that they need to divide and, and turn at each other's throat with divisive rhetoric. And, you know, right now they're using culture wars to do it. Um, and that's what we have to overcome. In order to you know to build the kind of movement that can can bring real democracy, so right, um, right. I'm glad. So, I'm like, glad okay, let me, yeah. If you don't mind, let me put it in a different way. Um, okay, kind of what, what I'm getting at. Uh, yeah, thanks for being patient, by the way. Um, okay, so I prioritize democracy. I made that clear. So uh, I'm open to socialism because. While I'm not a socialist, I prioritize democracy, and democracy is being attacked by capitalism. I don't think anyone here would argue that. Uh, they might not like it, or they might want to agree or disagree, you know, on various points. But overall, I think it's pretty clear now that capitalism is really destroying democratic uh, government in the United can, States. Can I jump so, in there? Can I offer some? Right? But Some hold, I'll, I'll make it quick. Sorry. But right, if, right. if, if, if my openness to socialism, um, you know, well, let me put it another way. If I see that, that, uh, socialists do not share my prioritizing of democracy, it becomes harder for me to respect their messaging and their, great big speeches because we've all heard all kinds of speeches from all kinds of people. You see what I'm saying? There's all kinds of people like me that despise Democrats and Republicans and are very aware of the corrosive caustic sort of nature of capitalism in undermining, you know, the will of the people. 
But if socialists are, are thinking that uh, this is all about making speeches without really digging deep and trying to figure out what motivates the rest of us, then it starts to sound really hollow. I think maybe uh, if socialists want to take things seriously, they should think more about messaging. You know, I think you guys were talking about that a little bit, the academic language, that sort of thing. I mean, it's great for stroking egos and circle jerking. But I mean, you know, if socialists want to reach people, it's going to have to go beyond just saying Marxism every fucking five minutes. You know what I mean? Um, Kind of. I mean, a little bit. I think, you know, you, 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 you brought up, you, you, you asserted capitalism is corrosive to democracy. And, um, and so I want to, I want to dig deeper into that. You know, Jenny has a different idea of what capitalism is to her. Capitalism is just markets where the government stays out of it. Um, but to me, you know, I see capitalism as a, a society where the capitalists control the levers of power. So, so, so to me, that's capitalism. And definitely when the capitalists take over the levers of power and they put in, you know, they essentially have a capitalist dictatorship, which they try and conceal through a political system, either parliamentary like they do in the Western Europe or a two-party democratic system like they have in the U.S., you know, they, 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 they develop this political system in order to hide and conceal the reality of capitalist dictatorship, capitalist class dictatorship. So, of course, capitalist class dictatorship isn't just um, corrosive to democracy. It's this antithesis. It's the antithesis of democracy. So, um, you know, that's that's why I talk about class struggle and I talk about overcoming and overthrowing this capitalist class system and returning, you know, working class to um, to governance and to the levers of power. Um, I so, guess in the end, I don't, I don't, I don't here, buy it, so and I don't think a lot of people would buy the idea that. Okay, oh, you know, Aaron, sorry. Sorry. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. So, so what I was going to say, for instance, right, China. So here's my opinion of China. They they engage in capitalism. They have capitalists. They have markets. The government regulates those markets. And they allow capitalism, but capitalism, the cap capitalists don't run the system, right? It's a communist system and they regulate the capitalism that takes place within their system to the benefit of the working class as best they can. And right now, because global capitalism is so powerful, they realize it would be calamitous and, and it would be disastrous for the Chinese national economy, for their the power of their... Um, you know, of their country and, and, and the interests of their working class to just, you know, socialize and to say, okay, no more, um, no, no more private ownership of the means of production. We're going to socialize everything because what would happen? Number one, they would no longer have access to Western markets. Number two, there would no longer be private capital investment flooding into China by the trillions like they enjoy now. So it's not in the best interest of the working class to simply abolish the capitalism takes place. It's much better for the workers in China that the Communist Party maintains control of the economic system and allows a measure of capitalism to take place for the benefit of the working class. Anyway, I mean, so it's a little bit it's a little bit more involved than just saying capitalism is a corrosive influence on democracy, because there's other factors. There's the class class issue and then there's the modes of production, capitalism versus communism that you got to talk about. Right. Uh, I would say that I don't automatically buy and i think it's a mistake to assume 
that people, uh, you know, are going to automatically buy because I'm not alone. Uh, the argument that, you know, not really the argument, but the sort of like position in general, the idea that uh, democracy will automatically be strengthened um, by turning away from capitalism, uh, especially when we don't see uh, the people that are supporting either socialism or capitalism prioritizing uh, commitment to democracy in a, in a, in a more meaningful way, you know. Um, Would you, I'd say that's fair. You know, I, I, I think you should think that through. I don't know. Um, I'm not the one pushing, uh, socialism or, or Marxism, but if I were, boy, I think I would be a lot more, if, you know, declare themselves to be socialists and Marxists. Yeah, I mean, again, what it, what are what are socialists and Marxists? They're just people that understand the reality of oppositional class interests, and they understand the reality that the West is dominated by of and for government that's owned by the capitalist class, and that they this capitalist class it. sees sees the so that's what Marxism is. And if you reject that, I think you're just kind of rejecting reality. And so I, I, don't I didn't say I rejected. Okay, listen, I didn't say I rejected I it. I don't. I'm not. I'm not really pushing Marx. I'm not pushing Lenin. I'm just kind of pushing reality. I'm. I'm pushing this fundamental reality of oppositional class interests. And if you yeah, want to say, I'm pushing that reality I'm doing too. It, you know. Okay. Yeah. Well, the reality is a lot of people are totally confused about this basic, you know, um, you know, way of uh, conceptualizing reality. And 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 well, you know, how about they, this? They Would you consider yourself to be a leftist? course do you, do you identify as a leftist yes okay so what the fuck does that mean then you know what i mean what does, no what what, what does what, mean? <laughs> what does leftist mean okay well leftist is is you know these these terminologies came from the french revolution where the um, right. aristocracy sat on the right side and the working class sat on the left side so, I mean, I'm on the side of the working class. That's that's the left. That's the political okay. left. It's basic. The, the the ridiculous sellouts at TYT would claim to be leftists. Sure. Right. So you're talking about people are confused as if, uh, you know, they're the problem. It, well, it feels like that, I guess. You're not necessarily saying that. No. Sorry. Well, but, I mean, but the truth is that messaging is, is confusing itself. That's not brainwashing to... to ask like what does that even fucking mean what is a leftist because no, you have all kinds of people claiming to be leftists that, that are clearly not yeah. leftists you know no no i get that's true no no that's a good point that's a good point so so um, i mean you know if you have to separate yourself on a continuous basis from yeah. you know ridiculous sellouts and and democrats and neoliberals then i mean i the people that are actual leftists should strongly consider dropping that terminology and using something else i mean if you're all in for socialism at least people know where you stand call yourself a socialist but if you're calling yourself a leftist i talk about confusing that doesn't mean shit it doesn't mean a fucking thing and and nothing is more irritating to the general public than every leftist in the country going on a five to ten minute fucking ridiculous rant or or exhausting explanation of what kind of super special fucking leftists they are Nobody cares. They might smile or politely nod along, but they're just waiting for these people to shut up. You know what I mean? So there's a certain reality there, I think. And I'm not trying to be like confrontational, but that's that's what I see. You know what I mean? Yeah. No. Um, 
I don't claim to be the um, world's foremost proponent of proper thinking. So, <laughs> yeah, nor do I. I nor do I. I, I, I I'm, op I'm open to criticism, and I definitely am deserving of it as well. So, yeah, me um, too. Thanks for being patient. Let me get out of here before you get pissed off at me. Okay. Anyway, uh, we're at the two-hour mark. Um, it's, it sucks. My co-host, uh, he's got the audio difficulties, which is a feature. It was the same thing last, last show. Usually the recorded programs, all those audio um, glitches are fixed and you can hear everybody fine in the recorded version. Um, you know, I'm open to continuing a discussion. Um, like, you know, we've covered some topics. We've been off topic a lot too. We've, we've done a lot of, uh, Covered a lot of topics. So does anybody want to jump in or should we wrap it up? Okay, so we got some dead air. So I'm assuming, yeah, <laughs> sounds like we can sign off. Uh, we appreciate all the avatars in the room. Not sure how many of you guys were actually listening. Hopefully you were, hopefully you enjoyed. Um, I'm sure we'll be back and have our audio issues fixed. So I don't know how to sign off. Pax, you want to sign us off?